Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for our next episode of Mixed Messages with Jeff Bogue. My name is Joe Caruso, and I'll be your host as we dig into today's topic. Thanks for putting your phone down, Jeff. That's pretty awesome. You're welcome, Joe. Well, from news sources... to pay attention to you. <laughs> well, from news sources to comedians, from friends to advertisements, it seems everyone has an idea of how we should think, live, and make decisions. And when everyone disagrees, how do we cut through the noise? How do we sift through all the information overload and choose what governs our lives? Well, as we pray and as we process these things, we want to offer a resource to navigate some of the day's most pressing topics and questions. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Joe. Are you doing all right today? Phones down, podcast up. I'm doing Excellent. well. Yeah. And we are, uh, for those of you watching, we're like in the middle of reframing our production room right here. So. This is- Remarkably like my house right now. This is like green screen, except not green. It's white. It's white. Okay. Um, Maybe they'll put something behind us. Oh, we could like superimpose an image right here or something like that. We could. I went all nerdy instantly. Yeah, I'm like Star Wars thing or whatever. Dream away, Joe. Let us know all of your hopes. (laughs) It really is pretty. I don't know if it's pathetic. Yep, it is. Let's go with that. (laughs) I, I just, man, I can nerd out on some stuff so fast. Okay. Here we go. Well, uh, today, Jeff, we have a submitted question from one of our listeners, and she says, I'm a single mom of two boys. Their ages are 9 and 10. Their father lives out of state, uh, but spends extended periods of time with them during the summer and the holidays. And as they begin their adolescent years, I'm looking for guidance on how to talk with them about the quote-unquote birds and the bees. That's uh, in a way that honors our Lord. Uh, I don't recall having this conversation when I was young, but I believe that it could have prevented a lot of mistakes and pain if I knew then what I know now. Ideally, I would like their father and I to do this together, and I realize the topic will be ongoing for the years and years to come, so any insight or words of wisdom that you could provide to us as we co-parent from different locations would be greatly appreciated. So that's kind of what we're at, Jeff. Like, how do we begin to have this conversation about sexuality with our children, uh, especially in today's culture? Yeah, I think it, this is a very important question, and and the buzz phrase right now is sexual discipleship. Yep. You know yep. that that sexuality and sexual identity is being forced upon. Uh, our children, regardless of whether we want it to be or not. In fact, I would say just to this mom, if you have two boys, nine and 10, they probably know a lot about the birds and the bees already. Um, and so uh, I wouldn't be, um, uh, I wouldn't hide from the fact that they've probably already had this conversation with their friends. Uh, the average boy sees his first pornography when he's seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending on the school curriculum, they're probably having some kind of this conversation out there. So this is uh, the time to get involved with that. I would actually encourage parents um, as a rule, not so much this mom, but as a rule to actually have those conversations even sooner with your kids so that um, sexual purity and sexuality, because our culture forces it, um, as Christ-following parents, we have to raise our children uh, in this part of their faith as well. Now, for some of us, um, like when I was a kid, uh, my youngest kid is 15 right now. So think of me like a generation older than like this this mom. 
Um, but when when I was a kid, you didn't speak about sex as a Christian family, and you almost lived in denial that such things occurred <laughs> in the world. Um, and the schools also were very, very different then, extremely different, that if they taught about sex, there was it was with a permission, and it, it was with a almost like a biology and anatomy. This is how babies are made, and this is how girl parts work and boy parts work. It was that uh-huh. kind of thing. It, was, it really wasn't rooted in finding your sexual identity and, uh, and claiming it, those kind of things. Today, I, I would say to this, this uh, a, a person who's probably this mom's age, so I'm 51, so let's just say you're 35 to 45 and you've got kids about this age, um, I would say that you were raised in a culture that the the school system was more aggressive in teaching about sex, but not yet campaigning or agenda-driven. It was more like a reality, like we have to teach birth control because kids are going to have sex, mm-hmm. so we, like, we have to say something about it. Um, and then also remember that when you were coming through school as a, if you're 35, 40 years old now, the internet and the accessibility of pornography, it was just just coming on the scene then where you could um, download something on a desktop computer, you know, when people weren't looking kind of a thing. For kids today, for a, a child today, what they are experiencing is absolutely completely different than anything we would have experienced as a parent. It, it's it's one of those things where parents really cannot understand the environment that their kid. we can't relate to it, the environment that their kids are being raised in. So you have a total accessibility of pornography. Uh, if, you're, uh, if your kid has a phone or a laptop or a... Um, iPad, uh, if they watch YouTube, which most kids, most children and teenagers, uh, about 95% of them interact with YouTube multiple hours a day, mm-hmm. um, then they have almost certainly been exposed to pornography. Whether you are screening it, filtering it, um, for them to uh, not have to have been exposed to pornography by this point would be extremely rare. You have to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. You also now have school systems, um, and I do not in any way mean this politically, I just mean this as a real realistic thing, uh, that are um, campaigning or they have an agenda. So they are forcing the conversation about sexual identity. They're forcing the conversation about LGBTQ a Pride Month, those that fl- those flags and those conversations are happening in the school system. So even a generation ago, that wasn't the case. Um, and then they then you get into the radically crazy school systems that are showing pornography as a class. You know those kind of things, the, the stuff that is kind of the the lightning rod stuff. So all that to say, like what that means is, is that you you have kids that were that are raised with a aggressive cultural agenda around sexuality. Um, f- I'm talking to parents now. If if I was talking to people in their 20s or people who are teenagers, they'd be like, "Tell us something we don't know." Mm-hmm. 
but I'm talking to parents now. So what I would say is just like a kid would be raised in Darwinism, that that evolution is factual, creationism is mythical and hokey, um, the myths of the Bible don't play out under scientific pressure. And you would, as a Christian parent, you might look and say, I need to disciple my kids through that. Um, there's lots of conversations about a, a literal seven-day creation, a seven-day time period. I'm not actually trying to have that debate. But for generally for a Christ-following parent, the idea that we have a creator and he is God— um, and he created you uniquely, that is usually a point that there's not a lot of conversation or debate about, except when I look at the culture who's going to say there is not a creator and there is not a God, this is all evolutionary. You would disciple your kids from a young age kind of through that process. Mm-hmm. The specifics of the science they have to figure out and come to convictions on but you would say, honey, I like I disagree that you just came from a monkey. Like I disagree that there was a big bang. Like those big things. Like I believe that there's a creator God created the universe with purpose and in love, and you are a part of that creation. And that's why a human being has a soul and they are different than an animal. Mm-hmm. Right? You're gonna have to put that kind of deliberate conversation into their sexual discipleship. Because there is no way, um, I, I think when my kids were little, the mindset was, when I was little, the mindset was deny it, right? I, just, I Apparently nobody ever had sex in my house, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> when my kids were little, the, the concept was protect them, shield them. And I'm saying, I don't even think you can do that uh, unless you literally move out into the middle of nowhere and and go off the grid. Um, But if they're going to live a normal life, you know, kids have to know how to use and interact with their computer. We, we have to have a phone now. Um, It's, it's not just the way that we play. It's the way that we work. It's the way that we educate. So they, they have to know how to use this, uh, these tools that being said, they're going to run into these things, and we have to we have to walk them through it and be open about it. Yeah, right? that's really good. Like for us to understand, because I do think um, you know we can't help it. Every generation, you you see things through the lens of your experience, and so even when I think back to my childhood and teen years, when I was exposed to different things and the conversations I had, like the fact of the matter is, it's just drastically different now than it was then. But do we start with, like, you, you kind of tongue-in-cheeked about, like, a health class, you know, in school, like, you know, this is the, the parts and this is how it works. Like, do we start with sex when we're discipling our kids? Or, like, do we start with something like, you know, the value of the human and the value of relationships? Like, what, what's some of the vision that we're casting um, as we start to have these conversations today with our kids? That's a great question, and and I'll answer it um in a little bit of a complicated way. So I think we... And that's why we're here on Mixed Messages, to complicate... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to, to complicate the issues. <laughs> um, I think we start with we have a creator who has put intrinsic value into you. Hmm. 
And because we have a creator who created humanity uniquely, uh, human beings were not created with the other animals. And we were not created with the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, or the vegetation. We are a, we are a unique part of creation. So that alone starts to give me a sexual ethic, right? Um, the uh, it was funny last night. We were we had a friend over, and Heidi and I uh, have bred show dogs for years and years, and so we're having a another another dog that's going to be bred, and and our friend was like, so like, what if they don't like each other, the male and the female? And I'm like, it doesn't work that way at all. <laughs> like there is no get to know you, you know, let's let's talk. Like I, I said, it's pure instinct, right, that you, you can't stop. Well, just the fact that I know that I'm not an animal, like you, I cannot, I cannot look at that dog and put him with that with a female dog and say, "Stop, control, be God." They, it's they're animals. It's pure instinct. Mm-hmm. So just starting with the fact that I am a I'm a human being. I'm not an animal. Uh, I'm made in the image of God, which gives me a unique value. So in other words, when I am sexually active, I'm not just exercising my body, I'm exercising my soul. My soul is what makes me a makes me in the image of God. There's something spiritual, there's something deeper that is that is me that's involved in every sexual act, right? That's why sex bonds, that's why sex wounds, that's why it, that doesn't happen to an animal. Right. Right? Um, but if if a if a human being is assaulted sexually, it, it would mark their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, when a when an animal is tracked down by another animal, it just moves on. That's our soul that's at play mm-hmm. right there, right? And the positive side of that is too: when a man and a wife unite in marriage, there's a there's a bond, there's a covenant that happens sexually. So it's just a it's just a different conversation. I would start there. From there, I, I would. Th- this is what I would say to parents: like I would start there as like a culture of your home. We interact with a creating a creator God who loves us. That creator God gives us special worth. We're different than the cat, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm even like when the cat dies, does it go to heaven? And, and I, I know this sounds horrible, but I'm like, no. <laughs> I Like, I actually want wanted my kids to know, like, the cat was special, and we love the cat, and weren't we blessed to have the cat? And now the cat is done. And we, well, we miss him. Yeah, I know, you know, and, and uh, is he in heaven? No, I would actually say that. People thought I was horrible, but I'm like, no, because the cat... What happened to Grammys when she passed away is not what happened to the cat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's important because it gives a different value to a human being and gives a different worth. Jesus didn't die to save the soul of the cat, mm-hmm. but he did for Grant. You see what I'm saying? So like that whole culture of, of thinking 
I want to be the culture of my home. Now, I say that as like a fa- that's like a foundation of a God ethic, mm-hmm. right? That cannot be to the exclusion of, of straightforward, real sexual conversations. And, and that's what I've seen happen a lot. They're like, parents will talk, um, you know, like theoretically about who God is and what he's like and why we're so special as human beings. And we'll never look at our kid and say, um, yeah, by the way, when you go through puberty, uh, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, um, sometimes at, at, uh, at nighttime, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? We won't have those conversations. Like, we're shy about it. But our culture will. Um, by the way, buddy, like when when you feel affection for your friend that's a boy, that doesn't mean you're gay. Mm-hmm. That means like you love somebody. And when you love somebody, you feel affection for them. I just I just read an article uh, yesterday. I think it was in the is in a major publication. I forget what it was now, but they said like eighty percent of young women wonder if they're bisexual. Hmm. And I'm and and the guy was kind of celebrating that. It's like there's an awareness now and they didn't know. And I'm and I listened to that or I read that and I thought, no, that's because they don't know what friendship is. Yeah. So me looking forward to being with you and trusting you and having love for you does not equal me being sexually attracted to you. What and you're gonna get me kind of. I'll probably get in trouble for this a little bit, but where that use that math is usually done is when someone has been sexually abused, hmm. and we as a culture through pornography sexually abuse our own children. That's yeah, because because someone right there would say, "Well, I I wasn't sexually abused, and I have those feelings." It's like no, that exposure to the perversion of sexuality is the mental abuse. The, through the history of time, if you exposed a child to sexually explicit materials, it was a crime, mm-hmm. and there's a reason it was a crime because it because it it disrupts your ability to trust, to mature, to process, to download. It's an abusive thing. It's literally only the last 15 years in in human history that we would say, yeah, it's, it's not a big deal if a kid watches porn. And I would say, well, it's a huge deal. It's a, it's a huge But our culture would not say that anymore. And it's causing all of these wounds. N- now, when I, whenever I feel affection, I have a sexual response. That is a classic indicator of a kid that's been sexually abused. But it's the bulk of our culture now mm-hmm. because of it. If, if what happened in pornography, if you took pornography and you played it out live or you paid, I'm going to take a kid to a movie theater and show them this movie, you would go to prison. Mm-hmm. But now it's just on my phone. So this is what I mean, like 
as parents, it, it's still a we're still a generate. It, it was really interesting. I was talking to my um, some of my kids about this idea the other day. Uh, my own children, we're at the house, and um, they were talking about YouTube, and uh, we're talking about kids. And my kid, my kids who are in college, they said they said we will never let our kids have an iPad. And I'm like, what? Really? And they're like, never. I'm like, why not? They're like, it's full of porn. For ch- see, I I raised them. I would that would have never crossed my mind because in my mind, my kid, my kids had uh, we had iPads. It was dads, you know. They but they were allowed to watch Disney movies on it. And then what my kids are saying is, that we'll, we would never let our kids spend the evening on on the on the iPad or on YouTube, they'll find porn. For parents, it's still a little foreign. Mm-hmm. That's why sexual discipleship feels weird. And I'm I'm trying to say this is 100% necessary and and it is the reality and it's not going to go away. It does not really matter if your kid goes to a public school, a Christian school. It's it's the internet, and I'm not saying don't live without the internet. I don't think we can, and and our whole world is moving that way. So we have to we have to learn to live godly and healthy within it. Mm-hmm. Right now, I, I want to I just want to answer this mom's question here. So sorry, mom. I kind of went on it down the road a little bit. I absolutely think that you should talk to your kids and be involved with this, and I absolutely think if he's willing, their father should do it. Um, given your unique situation, if you guys are good at cooperating, probably what I would do is find a book or a, a bit of like a curriculum and both read it both pick up the same language and then try to communicate with each other about both having the same goals. So when they're with, when they're with their dad, he's working on the same goals you are, vice versa, and then you guys are speaking the same language. The book is more for you than it is for the kids. But if you it, there's lots of books out there and and um, if you googled like focus on the family or, or something like that, there would be lots of resources for kids this age. I would try to sync up that way given your unique situation. If, if this is a a married couple under the same roof, right, the same kids, you could probably do that more conversationally. Yeah. Um, but you guys will have to work on it that way. But I would I would absolutely get into that that groove. Um, and I would say uh I don't know, Joe, maybe when we release this, we can put some links out there of, of things that par- parents could easily hit and go look at, help out with it. Yeah, I think we can do that for sure. I think um, I was thinking of some like follow-up questions to this, Jeff, Like <clears throat> because obviously this is a conversation that if they're 9 and 10 years old, if a culture is created where conversation and questions happens in the family unit, then you're probably going to be having these conversations for at least nine or ten more years, if not longer. And so um, this isn't like a how do I have the talk as much as how do I start 
really engaging these conversations. How do I start encouraging, um, you know, kids or even each other, if I'm being pursued by someone and their intentions seem to be sexual in nature, what, what should I do with that? And maybe even vice versa, I'm starting to be attracted to this person. I'm starting to feel sexual feelings for them. I want to pursue them. What are some of those types of things that you would encourage, um, you know, young children or, you know, young teens to start thinking through? Well, if somebody is pursuing you, pursuing your child, you find out about that, you need to get involved immediately and put up barriers and those kind of things. And, and I think part of what I'm saying, I'm really not trying to get on a ta- on like a tangent mm-hmm. or sound negative. I'm just trying to be realistic. Um, so if you have a, a 10-year-old and another 10-year-old boy starts to have sexual feelings and pursues your 10-year-old boy, the school isn't going to help you. Mm -hmm. Now, they're not going to, like, let an assault happen. I don't mean that. But, like, they're not going to look in to the 10-year-old who's a pursuer and say, buddy, you know, maybe you shouldn't send Valentine's Day cards to, you know, or love letters. They're not going to help you. Mm -hmm. And, and... It's a jump ball whether the parent, the parents of the other kid are going to feel that way or not. So you're going to have to step in. You're going to have to protect. Um, there are school systems. They're, they're usually private religious schools that they're they're going to view that differently and mm-hmm. maybe be helpful. And you, that's where you start weighing those decisions. You know what you're able to do and not able to do. When your kid starts to have these feelings, you have to talk with them. Mm-hmm. And the reason that sex talks, sex is the most natural thing in the world. Um, the reason that it's awkward is because we make it awkward. Mm-hmm. So you, it's usually the mom and dad that have to get over the, the hurdle, mm-hmm. right? And you start having it, well, and you don't freak out. You know, what, what do you mean? What do you feel? What do you, and you, then you have to discern your way through it. And, um, and you're just trying to point them back to God. Like you're looking and saying, um, uh, I, I feel happy when I'm with that person. Well, honey, that's what a friend is, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's different than I feel sexually aroused when I'm with that person, mm-hmm. right? So you have to have those conversations. As I'm having those conversations, if I, w- if I was in these shoes having these conversations... I would want to try to figure out the backstory, and I and I would want to try to figure out um, how we arrived where we arrived. Sure. And I think the more that I can understand that, the the more I can um, help guide my my child. And and we live in a our culture today would say would reprimand me for what I just said. And they would say, uh, no, you have to let the child discover that for themselves. And I would say, that's insane. That's insane. We we would not let a child discover for themselves the limits of their ability to handle drugs. We don't let a child discover for themselves whether they're going to drive a car or not. We don't let them discover for themselves whether they find is valuable or not to go to school on a certain day. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. So that I'm not saying freak out. I'm not saying 
uh, lock them in a room forever. What I'm saying is guide them. Th- mm-hmm. This, well, they have to learn for themselves. I'm like, no. Well, they're 13 and they feel like, well, I felt, we all felt all kinds of things at 13. You, you, you meet them, you walk with them, you love them. I'm not talking about rejection. I'm not talking about scorn, shame, embarrassment. Mm-hmm. But the idea that I understand myself sexually at 15 is, is that's silly. I have feelings and I have questions. That's very realistic. Mm-hmm. I've come to a complete conclusion uh, my nine-year-old doesn't want to go through puberty, so I'm going to help them not do that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy, and, and it and in my view, it's it's um, it's you're you're being a delinquent as a parent mm-hmm. to not guide through those things. What is different? It's not always the questions that are different, and the even the feelings that are different from 15 years ago. It's that you might be the only one saying a nine-year-old deciding whether they go through puberty or not is not healthy. Like you don't, you don't make, you don't make those level of decisions at nine. Right. I guide you as a parent through that process. So let's. Um, I love like the the layers that we keep building into this conversation. Let let's take um, another layer down, and now let's um, engage. Okay, now I got a eleven year old boy. He thinks a girl is cute. Jeff, how do I help my like almost the um the uh, I'm trying not to get myself in trouble here, but like the normal way is how I'm thinking of it at the moment, like. We still have to disciple our kids outside of the cultural Sexual perversion. Issues, like, yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm a boy. That girl's cute. Do I just – because I'm not in all of these other categories, do I just sexually pursue her? Like what do I do? Like how do we, how do we parent um, children that are going down, quote-unquote, healthy pathways? Yeah, or traditional ones yeah, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. The, what, what I would – what I would say is it's actually a lot of the same conversation. Like it's it's guidance, and um, what what happens sometimes in parenting is we will internally kind of decide that we have tolerances, and what we have tolerances for are the things that are most familiar to us. So if my if my ten year old son is sexually attracted to a girl. Well, that's familiar to me. Um, and I'm like, well, and, and then my parenting is kind of like whatever my tolerances were when I was growing up. Now, if he was attracted, same-sex attracted, I might freak out. And I, and I would look and I'd say, it's the same issue. Uh, it, it's the different temptation, same issue, right? Same-sex attraction and heterosex attraction is not about who I'm attracted to. It's about whose body it is it. Mm-hmm. Is is this my body or is this God's body? So you're just talking about different temptations. And so the same it's in many ways it's the exact same conversation where I'm looking at uh, in this example, a son, and I'm saying, son, um, it doesn't matter what dad's 
or mom's sexual history was. It doesn't matter um, if I had a serious girlfriend in the fifth grade or not. It doesn't matter when I got my first kiss or, or touched my first body part. None of that matters. What matters as a Christ follower is I want to honor God with my body. And when I think about like sexual discipleship, which we've talked about before, um, at the key question is, is this my body to do with what I want or is it God's body? Do I have a maker who has ownership over me or am I a incident of biology somewhere and I have, I have uh, ownership over myself. Well, the Christian thought uh, ethos or ethic would be, I have a maker. So just like I, I would not believe I have a right to put my body on drugs, I don't have a right before Christ to use my body to harm somebody else. Uh, I don't have a right to um, abuse my body with cholesterol and sugar, and you know I would eat in moderation, all kind of things. I also would look and say I don't have the right to do with with my body whatever I want to do with my body because my body actually belongs to God. So that what what we've done, I think, sometimes in the church is we've made sex the dirty thing or the sinful thing. So sex is bad. And I would argue, I'm like, no, sex is good. Sex is natural. Sex is healthy. It's my body ownership. Mm-hmm. And the one who owns my body says, sex happens in a paradigm. Mm-hmm. And until you're in that paradigm, you should not be sexually active. That's what I want to teach to my 10-year-old. So I'm gonna, from there, I'm going to say, okay, bud, uh, but I like that girl, Dad. Okay, well, let's talk about uh, and let's talk about how to be loving toward that girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you got two teenagers who are dating, but we're in love. It's like, okay, I mean, chances of you marrying the high school girl is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about what Christ-like love looks like mm-hmm. and functions like, right? God's ideal, and let's strive for God's ideal. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's where those conversations come in, and it the reason that we have struggled so much in church to talk about sex is because we've made that the dirty thing, and it's not. Um, it's actually our disobedience or our, our wrong understanding of ownership that is the problem when it comes to our sexual sexuality. Yeah, I, th- I think you're totally right. Um, I'm going to ask one. Uh, I think last follow-up question because we keep going to great places um, is: Is sex even in a traditional New Testament God-honoring way? Is sex the pinnacle of what it means to have a close relationship with somebody? No. Oh, that, that's the thing. Because it kind of <laughs> seems like our culture says it is. Well, that's the that's the thing. Is that first of all. First of all, sex is something you give. It's not something you get. Mm. So when you read the scripture, that's the paradigm, right? You you don't withhold yourself from somebody else because sex is from your wife or husband because sex is something you give. It's not something that you get. So we could probably talk about that shift for mm-hmm. a long time right there because that changes everything, right? Um, 
The other thing that happens is this, is that when sex, when sex is approached in a healthy way, it gives life, it gives intimacy, it gives meaning, it gives comfort, and it gives security. When sex is approached in an unhealthy way, it does all those opposite things. I, had a, I was asked a question recently. Um, somebody said, uh, they said, Pastor Jeff, um, you think that sex outside of marriage is, uh, out of a New Testament marriage is, is sinful? I said, yeah. I said, that's what the Bible teaches. They said, um, if you're going to marry that person anyways, does it matter if you have sex with them? I said, yeah. They said, why does it matter if you're going to marry them anyways? And I said, I said, well, do you just want to have sex with them? No, it's not about sex. We actually love each other, but we're just not married yet. I said, why don't you just get married? I mean, pop over to my office. I'll marry you in 10 minutes. They said, well, we don't want to be married yet. I said, oh, so it's about the sex. Well, I'm like, wait a minute now. That, that's, it's not about the sex. Well, then let's get married. Well, we don't want to be married. Then it's about the sex. Mm-hmm. So, so the argument is not whether two people who love each other have sex or not. The argument is, am I defining for myself or am I being defined by God? Mm-hmm. Well, give me all these reasons not to, be, not to have sex. Well, God gave you lots of reasons. Well, but we love each other. Then get married. Well, like no. So, so you're. We're just trying. And if if we applied that to any other thing that the Bible has an ethic in, the, the Bible has a will give an ethic for how we interact with poor people. Mm-hmm. And if I went to you and said, um, I will only interact with poor people if there's a if there's a if there's cameras following me. So you don't love poor people? No, I absolutely love poor people. Well, then just help them. Well, no, I want it on camera. Well, I thought you said you love poor people. If we started applying this logic to any other mm-hmm. ethic, it, it breaks down, and we would look at a person and be like, what is your deal? Mm-hmm. But because we understand the struggles of the sexual ethic, and you want what I want, see, it, it changes everything. When you have the, – the reason that there's sexual uh, tension and problems in marriage is because people think of sex as something that they get instead of something that they give. And I don't want to give it freely. I want to be selfish with it. Oh, so you don't, you don't want to give yourself away in marriage. Oh, I totally do. I just don't want – he just wants sex all the time. So you don't want to give yourself away in marriage. And it's, it's never the sex <laughs> that – that's never the issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's that's why you can have you can have sex every night of the week in marriage and feel lonely and used. Yep. And it's why you can have sex, you know, once a year and feel lonely and used because it's not the act; it, it's everything that surrounds it. So it's an expression of that love and that intimacy. And whenever that is tainted in any way. Um, the health of it is robbed, mm-hmm. so to say. I, I read something not that long ago that was talking about how, like, that's 
why a lot of the sexual norms of our culture today are actually that psychological and spiritual abuse when it comes to sexuality because when we're exposed to, if not frequent users of things like pornography, then we're equating sex as the thing that helps me meet my needs. And I don't even need to interact with someone else's emotional thoughts to get that interaction. And then similarly, it was talk. That article was also talking about um, in a, in the context of um, that engaged couple. We're going to get married anyway. Why can't we have sex? They were t- they were getting really into the science of how the brain works, of how God created our minds to work. And they're like, your brain creates pathways, your brain creates habits, your brain creates rhythms. And even though you love that person, you're going to get married. What you just trained your brain to do is. As long as I love somebody, I'm allowed to have sex with them. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Well, 15 years into your marriage, when you feel distant from your spouse and this other person at work just seems to get you, and now all of a sudden you're talking, and now all of a sudden you feel connected, and now you love them, your brain already has those predisposed wirings to say, well, because I love and because I feel close to this person, it's okay for me to have sex with them. Yeah. And we can deny it. But that's one of the things that's formulating in our minds when we continue to go down those types of pathways. We, we have a creator. When, when, my, when my iPhone acts up, um, what, I'll, what I'll do is I'll either email or call tech support. They will walk me through a series of things I didn't even know was on my iPhone. <laughs> and once I go through that series of things, my iPhone will work again. Now, Ready? I actually don't know why. I just know that. I know that it will work again if I follow, so to say, the creator's instruction. And, and sex is one of these areas that we have a terrible time trusting God with. But he created us. And, and he's like, I'm, I actually gave you something. I, you know, my iPhone, I can call 911 and get help with it, or I can call it a bomb threat. Sure. Right, I, it, it can, it, it's it's not the issue. How I'm utilizing it or abusing it is the issue, and my Creator guides me with it. and And this is this to me is the core of sexual ethic: is I have a Creator. Do I trust Him to guide me in this area that I don't understand, and that I don't. Um, and that I don't, I will never actually fully understand the ramifications of what I'm doing. As a parent, when I tell a nine-year-old to discover their sexuality, that is, it is the most illogical thing. They have no ability to do that. You as a 40-year-old man don't understand your sexuality. I don't understand my sexuality. So as a parent, I want to teach my kid to look to their creator, mm-hmm. not fear him because he'll zap you and make you go blind if you're sexually immoral, sure. which is what I was taught. <laughs> but to go to the creator and say, would you, would you walk me through how to get this to work right yep. uh, and, to, and to trust him with it? And it is probably the the biggest point of discipleship that we need to enact in our families today. Yep. Well, thanks, Jeff, for having that conversation. Um, if you're like me at all, listening, watching, um, there's a lot of other questions that are not like, well, then what about and how do I and all of that kind of stuff. 
If you have those questions, submit them. You can go to bath.gracechurches.org slash mixed messages. This is an ongoing thing. Discipleship is a process. Discipleship is a continued journey. And we want to continue to help each other as we navigate all of this, especially as our culture continues to change. If we can help you take any unique next steps, we'd love to do that. And if you are looking for a church family, a place to have community, you can always join us on the weekend or check us out online as well. If you want more of what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, rate, and review our podcast. Uh, That'd be absolutely great. Well, thanks for jumping in with us today as we continue to seek God's voice through all the mixed messages around us. See you next time.